Good morning, friends and members. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Brian Mason, and I am the minister who serves this congregation. I'm grateful to be joined this morning by Donica Kozlovich and Margaret Jurs. I want to extend a very special welcome to everyone joining us this morning online. Since 1870, this church has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, gender expression, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping online only, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter or follow us on Facebook for updates. And with that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. If you're following along at home, you're welcome to join in singing our opening hymn when our heart is in a holy place. Thank you. 
I'd like to invite you now into a spirit of prayer and meditation. Center yourself as is your custom. Take a deep breath. And let us journey into silence with these words. O life of every time and every place, we have read and been given promises that the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Yet all around us we see people who have no food, no shelter, no safety. Let us hear the cries of those in need. Let us answer the call with comfort for all who are in pain, all who mourn, all who wake in the night crying out. Send wisdom to those who would lead our nation and to the leaders of the other nations of the world. Help us to know what to do and what not to do, that the world may know holy love. We meditate on all these things and for so much else besides. Aloud and in the silence of our hearts, we pray for those we have never met and for those who cannot pray for themselves. Now let us call to mind the joys and sorrows of our lives and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen.
Today's reading is I Am Waiting by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. I am waiting for my case to come up, and I am waiting for a rebirth of wonder, and I am waiting for someone to really discover America and wail, and I am waiting for the discovery of a new symbolic Western frontier, and I am waiting for the American eagle to really spread its wings and straighten up and fly right, and I am waiting for the age of anxiety to drop dead, and I am waiting for the war to be fought, which will make the world safe for anarchy. And I am waiting for the final withering away of all governments. And I am perpetually awaiting a rebirth of wonder. I am waiting for the second coming. And I am waiting for a religious revival to sweep through the state of Arizona. And I am waiting for the grapes of wrath to be stored. And I am waiting for them to prove that God is really American. And I am waiting to see God on television, piped onto church altars, if only they can find the right channel to tune in on. And I am waiting for the Last Supper to be served again with a strange new appetizer. And I am perpetually awaiting a rebirth of wonder. I am waiting for my number to be called, and I am waiting for the Salvation Army to take over, and I am waiting for the meek to be blessed and inherit the earth without taxes, and I am waiting for forests and animals to reclaim the earth as theirs, and I am waiting for a way to be devised to destroy all nationalisms without killing anybody, and I am waiting for linnets and planets to fall like rain and I am waiting for lovers and weepers to lie down together again in a new rebirth of wonder. I am waiting for the great divide to be crossed, and I am anxiously waiting for the secret of eternal life to be discovered by an obscure general practitioner, and I am waiting for the storms of life to be over, and I am waiting to set sail for happiness, and I am waiting for a reconstructed Mayflower to reach America with its picture, story, and TV rights sold in advance to the natives. And I am waiting for the lost music to sound again in the lost continent in a new rebirth of wonder. I am waiting for the day that maketh all things clear. And I am awaiting retribution for what America did to Tom Sawyer. And I am waiting for Alice in Wonderland to retransmit to me her total dream of innocence. And I am waiting for Child Roland to come to the final darkest tower. And I am waiting for Aphrodite to grow live arms at a final disarmament conference in a new rebirth of wonder. I am waiting to get some intimations of immortality by recollecting my early childhood. And I am waiting for the green mornings to come again, youth's dumb green fields come back again. And I am waiting for some strains of unpremeditated art to shake my typewriter. And I am waiting to write the great indelible poem and I am waiting for the last long careless rapture, and I am perpetually waiting for the fleeing lovers on the Grecian urn to catch each other up at last and embrace, and I am awaiting perpetually and forever a renaissance of wonder.
I've been reading Brian McLaren's new book, Faith After Doubt. In it, he defines four stages of religious development. Here they are. Simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. I'll admit that the book is just a little bit heady, but I enjoy how it offers some tools to think about our 151-year-old church in the 21st century filled with people who have different religious experiences and beliefs. So viewed from the outside and even from the inside, Unitarian Universalism can seem confusing. What do you actually believe is a question I'm sure you've heard at some point. We have a few catchphrases that try and capture in a pithy way what we believe. Unity and diversity is one you might have heard before. Love beyond belief, you've probably heard at some point. We need not think alike to love alike is another one. On any given Sunday, you use bring with them their Buddhism, Catholicism, humanism, or otherwise, along with their doubts and questions, and of course, we bring our joys and sorrows. This church in our faith boasts a diverse collection of religious worldviews and practices with people coming from nearly every walk of life. Euro-Americans, Black Americans, Transylvanian Unitarians, Hungarian ones, Canadians and the Unitarians of the Kasi Hills in India. Some churches recite the Lord's Prayer with communion every Sunday, while across town, another UU church is listening to a sermon by a pagan. Even with all of this diversity, there are common threads about us. And these common threads tell a deeper story, and I think McLaren's book is a great resource in that it views religious experience as a human experience with phases that go forward and backward in keeping with the tendency we all have to change many times and for many reasons throughout our lives. The First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wausau, and I think Unitarian Universalism too, at least in the United States, most closely resembles stage three, which is defined, if you remember, by perplexity. We are a perplexed and perplexing people in a positive sense. I don't think we're stage one or two because those stages are just a bit too dualistic and pragmatic. In those stages, there's a desire to please authority figures, to focus on good versus evil, winners and losers. It's about joining a group where everyone believes the same. Now bear in mind that there is nothing wrong with any of these stages. You can live a perfectly good life at any stage. The point is, I don't think this church or Unitarian Universalists in general have a strong desire to please authority. We like to challenge authority way too much for that. And we're not really all that concerned about a cosmic battle between good and evil either. Evil for us is often talked of as having to do with oppressive systems. We're mostly content with people who believe differently than us, but if we're being honest, we bicker about that probably more than we should. That said, I still think a hallmark of our faith is tolerance for diversity. 
And when it comes to authority figures, people in stage three, they tend to be suspicious, especially when the person in authority is a religious figure. They've read a lot of articles about religious figures who've been manipulative and abused their authority in terrible ways. And so they're kept at an arm's length. Stage three people are experts on critique and deconstruction, and they're very good at analysis and heady conversations. They're relativistic in the sense that they won't claim wholeheartedly a group's belief system because they're in awe of the world's diversity. And they're sensitive that power and privilege has too often been held by selfish, wealthy white men. One of the interesting things about stage three folks is that it's tricky for them to build a sense of community because one of their primary qualities is an aversion to commitment. In my mind, stage three people are that friend, and we all have that friend who will never commit to something until the last minute because they want to wait and see if something better will come up or if they'll feel like it. Stage three is kind of like Groucho Marx, who said, I don't want to belong to any club that will accept me as a member. There are a lot of people who are UUs, but they never join a church. I hear that all the time from people, and we see those people at Christmas and Easter and downtown grocery all the time. Resistance to commitment exists for stage three people because they put so much time into researching what else is out there. They're well-read and well-traveled. They've been to therapy and been on spiritual retreats. And so they've developed an experience-based suspicion that whenever and wherever people are gathered, they know that there will be problems and that suspicion is always confirmed. It's confirmed because every group has problems. I guarantee that the monastery where the Dalai Lama lives sees monks fight about any number of issues. And I'm willing to bet my car that Pope Francis and the College of Cardinals have heated arguments with four-letter words, or whatever the equivalent of is in Latin. Just read St. Paul's letters in the New Testament, all of which discuss community, and in every letter he mentions that people are fighting about the leadership or church administration or religious education. This is the case because religious communities are testy places. But what happens in stage three when issues arise according to McLaren is this. People become suspicious of their suspicions. They become disillusioned with their disillusionment, and then they turn that scrutiny on themselves saying things like, I knew better this happened the last time. And so there's a tendency to pull up stakes and move their tents elsewhere. I know this is true because I have data to prove it. So since 2009, the number of UU churches, adult members, and students in religious education across the board, they have all declined. In the Reverend Christana McKnight's research entitled The Problem of Retention in Unitarian Universalism, she cites four reasons for low retention. Here they are. Number one, a lack of religious identity. Number two, vast differences between what's happening in religious education programs and adult church. Number three, 
being overly focused on outsiders rather than spiritually engaging insiders. And number four is a failure on behalf of congregations to encourage and teach people how to be leaders in their churches. Let me summarize. Maintaining community is hard. And you, you churches with such diversity of beliefs, skepticism of religious authority, and a general sense of confusion about identity and leadership, the topic of belonging and how to share common questions makes it difficult to share a mission and a vision. It's difficult because in stage three, belonging has to, be, has to do with being seen as an individual. And stage three, belonging has to do with having your difference being recognized. And I will admit that that is an important thing. It's so important we undergo this practice with the youth in our religious education programs when we have them write a personal religious credo because we know how important it is to be appreciated for who you are and what you believe. But if the process stalls there and research shows it does, you run into trouble, as McLaren notes. Notice this difference. In stage three, the topic of belonging says, and I quote, I am one of the honest, thoughtful, and independent individuals. Whereas in stage four, which is the harmony stage, the topic of belonging is this. I am seeking understanding, connection, and the common good even with my enemies. The skepticism about hidden biases is replaced with the question that asks, what part can I play for the common good? Community in stage four is a willingness to share a common question, even with your enemies. Neglecting fellowship with enemies is to mistake our story for the story. Our stories are merely part of the bigger story of human life. And that's a key idea here. The Catholic teacher Henry Nouwen said, community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. That person is always in your community somewhere, and in the eyes of others, you might be that person. Did you notice that? You might be the enemy in the eyes of someone right here at UU Wausau. Most of us can list people who bug us. We can point out people's flaws and tendencies, and sometimes we don't like people based purely on what others have said about them. And here's the kicker. Have you ever considered that you, yes, even you, dear listener, might be at the top of someone's crud list? Remember that line in Matthew why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? The leap we have to take in community is a leap of faith. We have to trust that others are worth our effort and that we at our best and at our worst are worth their effort. It's never enough to just say, oh, I'm patient and forgiving unless you are willing to say, Dear friends, there will come a time when I will need the patience and forgiveness of others because eventually I am going to be a jerk. Because everybody is a jerk sometimes. 
In stage three, the assumption is that mistakes are the result of bad research or crummy policies, which might be true. But that's only ever part of the problem. The other part is mistakes are inevitable. And the mistakes we make are just as important for learning and growth as the research is. And that's the leap from stage three to four. To love a community, it's not enough to just love their ideals. You have to love their raw reality, too. You have to love their crud. And that's lesson number one today. You have to love their crud. You use believe in the inherent worth and dignity of all people. And we here at UU Wausau say in our mission statement that this church is a place where all people, all people, feel welcome, and we claim boldly that we are active partners in service to others and that in everything we do, we strive to spark change in ourselves and then the world we inhabit. Change in ourselves. What do you think that's getting at? It certainly doesn't suggest we're perfect. It suggests we need to change in order to... It suggests we need to change, and in order to change... We have to be willing to act. And here's the second point I want to make this morning. We have a bias towards action. And that bias is rooted in our universalist Christian roots that says we are called to cross the line and to take a leap of faith. And rather than argue about doctrine and who gets into heaven, which is an argument we said to heck with 100 plus years ago because we decided that rather than argue about the power of God, we decided that we are going to put our efforts into participating in the power of God. And what do our ancestors say about participating in the power of God? It says that the first will be last. Our power has nothing to do with steely might. It has nothing to do with slick arguments because our power is meekness. Unitarian Universalism's principles are based in part on the Beatitudes. And what do those Beatitudes say? They say, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst, the merciful, the peacemakers. That's the mission of this church. And that's the mission of our faith. Service and worship with and among others, period, full stop. Jamie Smith is one of my favorite living philosophers. And he recently wrote an essay that's been stuck in my mind. And in it, he says this, as a middle-aged man, I dream of being Mr. Rogers. When you're young, he writes, it's easy to confuse strength with dominance. But when you're older, you realize that the feat of character it takes to be meek. I used to imagine my calling was to defend the truth. Now I'm just trying to figure out how to love. Who doesn't want to be more like Mr. Rogers? The world needs more people like Mr. Rogers, which leads me to my third point this morning. Be more like Mr. Rogers. Here's what Dr. Smith is saying. We are not going to think ourselves out of our problems. We aren't going to think away the possibility for tension. Our Puritan ancestors hit the shores of the New World nearly 400 years ago, and we've been arguing ever since. But if you scan those pages of history, where do you see the best of us? 
You see it in the work of the church within and without, any time they're modeled on the Beatitudes. All those times that we acted like Cotton Mather at the witch trials, they never served us well. But what served us well is when we acted more like Mr. Rogers. And there at the end of the Beatitudes, we get a quick lesson on community. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. And lastly, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice with other in all things. Remember the words of that roomy song we sing sometimes? It says it all. Though you've broken your vows a thousand times, come, yet again, come. A thousand times, it says. The move from stage three to four is a leap of faith because it puts words into action. Love is never just a word, it's an action. It's one thing to say you believe in justice and equality in the democratic process. It's another thing to embody those beliefs. Just think about all that's required to live UU principles. Commitment to non-consumerism, being nonviolent, community building, serving others freely and often. As Richard Rohr says, these acts of faith ask much more of us than any belief system does. At the end of Faith After Doubt, McLaren writes, In some of us, survival and pleasure dominate. In others, relationships and belonging, while in others, beliefs and opinions matter most. But as we mature, some of us, those of us who take that leap of faith, we mature and become wholehearted, whole self people whose instincts, intuitions, and intellects nudge them towards that sacred calling to live in service to the common good. Have you ever met anyone like this? Has there ever been a Mr. Rogers in your life? Think about it for a minute. It's those people who are always there, even when you're batting zero. They're the pillars in a church or those one-of-a-kind teachers or friends or grandparents, and they embody selfless love. They nudge us towards forgiveness and understanding, and they hang in there when the going gets tough. In my life, I've only met a few people like this. One of them was my grandmother, who smoked like a chimney and cursed like a sailor. But somehow she had the ability to make everyone around her live a little larger and love a little harder. And thankfully, I've heard other people tell me about the Mr. Rogers in their lives and what do all of them have in common. They say that those people admitted that as they got older, their youthful certainty gave way to a mature curiosity. They were never too proud to say they'd messed up a thousand times, but kept showing up day after day, year after year, to sit with others at the table. They said, come, let us break bread, even if there are tears and pain and sadness, even if we are enemies for a time. They put their hands on our shoulders and they said, let us go together, you and I, and let us find a way to be together for ourselves so that we can be together for others. To love a community, you have to love their raw truth, their crud. Community is where you learn to love others, even your enemies. 
It's where you learn, even in your brokenness, that you are worthy. Community is held together by the weavers. In a world hell-bent on tearing things apart, the weavers go from self to relationship to community, and they show us over and again that we are not here to tell our story. We're here to tell the story, the story of us learning how to be human and empathetic as we live our lives with one another. Amen. If you're following along at home, you're welcome to join us now in singing our closing hymn, Soon the Day Will Arrive. Judith Meyer wrote, We all have so many needs, a thousand prayers, a thousand needs, that really only need one answer. Let the world not be indifferent. 
The mission and vision of the First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wausau is made possible exclusively by the generosity of our friends and members. I encourage you to stop by our website to check out one of the numerous ways you can give to be a part of this good work. I thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Please join me now in singing our doxology. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that cast out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away.